Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton, I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host for episode number 60. And today on the podcast, we have a live guest with us. For the first 59 episodes of Sense and Sensibility, we've had no guests other than the one posthumous interview of Milton Friedman in episode 15. You've just heard my voice and my opinion on things, and so I decided that this year I would try to bring on some other guests, um, selecting them from people that I've met on my travels and in my professional life, people who can talk about their own professional professional experiences and personal experiences with inflation as practitioners, evaluating and or managing inflation exposures, and so on. And I'm really excited to introduce my first guest coming up in a moment. But first, let me remind you that this episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify ETFs is a manager of alternative ETFs, solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges. This includes income solutions like SVOL, yield curve plays like TUA, and 60-40 diversifiers such as CTA. If you're an individual investor or an RIA, you will likely find that Something they've done addresses a particular problem that you have that you didn't know was solvable. Check out their website at simplify.us. That's simplify.us. You can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. Okay, so let me, uh, let me introduce today's guest then. Um, his name is Bill Pachaka. Uh, he's an old friend of mine, and he's a... Uh, He's a, a senior financial services guy. Um, he's got this. I don't want to say he's old, but he's he's been around. You know, <laughs> he's done a lot of things. Um, you know, a, a senior C-suite kind of stuff, and he's been on sort of both sides of the table. So he's been a uh, you know a CEO of a, an asset management firm uh, called uh, Panagora Asset Management, a big quantitative firm. Um, and he's also been a CIO of uh, of a big insurance company, um, AIG Property Casualty, following the financial crisis, and also a CEO of of another insurance company, uh, Arkwright Mutual Insurance Company, which he he merged to form FM Global. So he's sort of been around on on both sides of things, both as an asset manager of a third party asset manager, you know, but also as an as an insurance dude. Um, and, uh, and I, I met him when he was at his, as his, in his AIG incarnation. And I, I recall that we were, were introduced by Peter Hancock and I can't remember the exact circumstances, but, but, but Bill is, is a great first guest here because he has, you know, this deep, deep knowledge of, of a subject, um, that is insurance that, that I, I, I'm not as deep on. Um, and he has a really good understanding of inflation and how those things fit together from, from a lot of different uh, angles. So I think he's going to bring some great perspective to the broadcast today. And that seems like a good place to start, Bill. I mean, do you want to, uh, first of all, do you remember why Peter introduced us and, and do you want to add anything else to, to the background or not? Keep in mind, this is my first time in the interviewer's chair. So be gentle. You're doing great, Mike. Uh, the, first, let me say thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's a great topic. Uh, we go back at least 10 years. Um, Way more than that, Bill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate the invitation. Um, I would say that uh, your your uh, review of my background is uh, correct and accurate. Um, I would add one thing that, uh, in addition to the common thread being financial services, I've 
uh, perfected the art of learning from my mistakes because I've had just so much practice at it. <laughs> and um, as far as when we met, uh, Peter uh, introduced us to talk about some of the very things that we're going to be talking about today. Um, he thought that us coming together would, with regards to how to manage risks uh, of various types, that we could put together some programs and ideas, and we worked we worked on those kinds of uh, projects. Uh, unfortunately, you impressed me as being somebody who was both technically knowledgeable and creative, and um, so you've gotten wrapped into my project web. <laughs> um, and over the years, as you know, we've worked on many different kinds of, I think, fascinating projects. And unfortunately, these this web doesn't make you eligible to go into uh, witness protection, which I'm sure you're probably <laughs> want to do, given all the times I've tapped your expertise. And well, well, which I'm very uh, uh, appreciative. Well, look, I mean, you know, the uh, it it's great if you can have a professional experience and a professional life that that goes kind of beyond you know the the sort of you know raw commercial professional you know first interaction and you and I have have extended this in uh you know ever since then in lots of super interesting ways and um um you know that's actually I, I think what I want to do with this with bringing on guests is is not just with you but the, I'm in I'm in a lot of webs and uh, and I want to bring on people and uh, and talk about the webs we're in. So so I think that's a great um, perfect reason, you know, that you're on, and 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 a, and a perfect first guest. So um, so let's see. Now I understand that I'm the interviewer, which means I'm supposed to ask questions. Um, and so you know, as you can probably already tell, this is probably gonna. We're going to riff on this, and it will be a little less structured. But, um, but let's see how it goes. It also it also doesn't preclude me from asking you questions. Is that correct, Mike? Gosh, I I guess. I mean, I, I uh, <laughs> sure the inflation guy, the insurance. I mean, I guess. I mean, we'll. Uh, I'm not sure how I have to credit you. Then it gets a little yeah, confusing. Right. But but yeah, but you know, you're welcome to. Okay. Sure. I mean, that's how we've. Our, it's how our relationship has gone, right? <laughs> For sure. I ask you about insurance. You ask me about inflation, and we right. we both get smarter. So, um, now. I've always been fascinated with, with insurance. Well, not always, but as soon as I learned enough about insurance, I became fascinated with it. And, uh, and, and especially property casualty is, is one of those industries where inflation comes into lots of decisions in lots of different ways. Um, do you have a particular framework for how you think about inflation in the context of the insurance biz. And then maybe we could talk about some examples or something like that. But but let's start with whatever framework you uh, you bring to the table here. Sure thing. I, I would say, Mike, I describe uh, the way I look at this issue as more of an approach than uh, kind of a, a construct or a framework. And I think I would introduce it by saying we all tend to race to the most obvious steps, um, which is to add inflation benefiting assets. That's that's part of the solution. But I'd like to proceed that by taking a step back and, and with some, I guess I would describe it as organizational self-scrutiny through a series of, of questions. I kind of think of it as, a, as an inflation audit for an intermediary, mm. 
and and the questions would you know I think they're pretty intuitive and uh, common sense actually. So they would be like, where is our inflation? Is it in operations? Is it on the balance sheet? Is it both? What is the unit that is being priced? Is it a physical unit? Is it a financial unit? Um, are we long or short uh, change in prices? What is the direction of these different sources of inflation that we either have explicitly taken or done as a consequence of other decisions? Uh, which ones are the big ones? What, which ones do we really need to mm. understand scale? And, and what is the depth of their respective markets, so to speak? Um, and I think the two most important ones in this kind of, um, you know, MRI uh, for inflation <laughs> are, um, are these bets that we want to take or need to take as part of our business strategy? Mm. Either of which, uh, an affirmative action to either of those requires a forecast. It's unavoidable. If we're going to make bets, we've got to make forecasts on these things. Um, as uncomfortable as we may be. And then finally, if the answer is yes, that we do need to take these bets and the big ones, how much do we retain and how much do we lay off and how do we do that? Mm -hmm. So this, this is all done through the lens of price changes um, and cycles for price changes uh, associated with these different types of units. So I... That's the framework that I use. It kind of like uh, avoids errors of omission. It tells you where there's orders of magnitude as opposed to smaller things. Because I think that really that's what should direct any kind of inflation strategy is that context. So that's my that's the approach that I take. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by, I'm always fascinated by frameworks, you know. Um, uh, you know, Charlie Munger is, you know, sort of famous for having sort of his, his list of of uh, of mental models, and and that's kind of what we're trying to get at here is sort of your your mental model. And by the way, I like MRI better than audit. I mean, neither one of those <laughs> neither one of those is great things, yeah. but you know, in finance here, we just you know audit just makes uh, me yeah. yeah. I, I like being a radiologist so. more than an auditor. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really really difficult sometimes. Um, and and look, I mean, there's a there's a boy, there's a there's a whole bunch here to go. And one of the things I want to return to um, uh, maybe a little bit later is, is the question of unit with the physical and the financial, because I, I, I think that there's um, probably some interesting ways to think about bringing those, those pieces together. But, um, um, but let's, you know, you, you, in this list, you know, one of the bullets is, you know, what are the big ones in the depth of their markets? And so let's, let's, I, I guess I'd like to start there and ask, you know, are there some of these risks that are easier to hedge? Um, and, and how, how do you think about hedging or retaining um, those sorts of risks? Sure. That's a, that's a central yeah. question. So why don't we, why don't we, um, I thought it would be helpful to, to kind of, uh, use an example of one that's specific in, um, and uh, go through what, what I think are the, the ways it can be uh, managed. Got it. Um, 
there are, the answer to your question, are there some that are easier than others? Clearly it's yes. And, 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 and that. No, they're all exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the easier ones in one respect is because the unit of risk has clarity, what it is. And so let me, let me um, be more specific about that with example it would be like a pallet of plywood or workers comp rehabilitate rehabilitation program for for let's say the same injury as opposed to something risk that's more ambiguous like a litigation risk or something like that so the ones that are easier to manage and hedge are the ones where the with regards to price risk is the ones where the the unit is itself relatively clean mm. let's say mm -hmm. so the example that i thought i would used to go through what, what I see is six methods is a basket of materials typically needed to rebuild um, a home after a, a weather-related cat event. So imagine that we've created a basket of those materials, building materials, um, and, and our, our risk is the price of those materials or reward is the price of those materials, depending on what side of the trade we're on. So the the six methods that I, I have uh, thought about, three are really conventional, they're familiar. And, and, and the other three, Mike, it would be like you and I go into the lab. And yeah. It's the, yeah. It's start to, you know, put things together and pull them apart. And so I'll start with the familiar ones. One is actuarial input. This is the first line of inflation defense for underwriting. And it's it's been around for decades. Um, you know, inflation protection in the form of the actuarial input is uh, important. It's important to policy pricing, to product design, to setting reserves that are approved by the board. It's a component of all of those critical activities. Um, it's, it's part art and science. Um, so this is the first line of defense for inflation is the actuarial input. It's seri serious business for the company. Um, e even the jokes aren't meant to be funny. So well, I mean, they're actuaries. I mean, yes. we, we don't want funny actuaries. That's, that's a bad sign to begin with. So, so this is that's really getting to to the pricing part of it, right? I mean, you're, we're not yet hedging it, but I think what you're saying is that we better have a pretty decent idea of what the price of this thing should be because we're we're underwriting this risk. And, and Correct. And if we come in and we just we're just totally wrong about the cost, then there's no hedging solution which is going to make it better. Correct. And and I think the way I um think about this is, is we're charging for for price escalation it's it's what they call a load you know we've put in a load for price escalation and mm -hmm. it's explicit and it's subject to a lot of science the models are advanced complex and there's a lot of good stuff out there and you don't have to do much digging to find it so um that's that's one method uh the other um this is more of kind of the hedge category and it's been around for years would be uh, conventional reinsurance. You basically lay off the pricing risk through, in this case, um, a cat treaty. 
um, where you've got a effectively a syndicate of reinsurers. And the price escalation or stability is embedded in that treaty price. Uh, so you, you it's it's there, it's it's all in, not only the cost of rebuilding homes, but any risk associated with the price of doing so has been kind of fully um, incorporated into the negotiation of the treaty price itself. So it's- So uh, you're basically putting that risk then off. You're taking the risk entirely away from, from, the, from your insurance company and now it lives at the at the reinsurance company. They've they've they're taking all the inflation risk along with the. Well, kinda. You get a B for that. that <laughs> back, not an A. Yeah, um, that's hey, I'm a B kind of student. <laughs> so so clearly the primary company retains some of that risk. It's the net exposure, and lays off a lot of it because uh, of the aggregation of it, and it's a you know principle of of risk sharing. But but. Whatever it is, it's it's um, horizontal, so to speak, in that it includes laying it off, the pricing risk as well as the the risk itself, the risk in the pricing. So that's another way that's been around for years that pricing risk is handled through integration in the CAT treaty with regards to this one example. The third and the more recent one, uh, but it's not new, is just you know, assets in the portfolio, um, you know, putting in various types of assets that um, benefit from different forms of inflation and types of inflation and environments and maybe a general CPI index or an active fund around that. Are you familiar with those kind of things, Mike? I've, uh, I've heard of some of these things. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of, but, you know, I, I have a question, um, you know, we're talking about here building materials and, and, uh, and so on. And if it, if you want to hedge that building, you know, the cost of building, rebuilding houses, what does what does an asset hedge kind of look like in that case? And, and I know this is just an example, and so maybe it's just not a great example, but it's but but what what how? Go ahead. Perfect, perfect. So <laughs> you've already entered the lab before I wanted to. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I think what you, what I don't know if this is the right term for it, but what you're raising is the basis risk, so to speak, or mm. alpha versus beta. There's different ways to describe this as a, a general inflation hedge, as opposed to coming back to this initial MRI, what are my you know, inflation risks on the business side or the operating side? Mm -hmm. So this is more, the one I described as the more general protection of inflation, but, but there are these um, uh, customization opportunities that I think can be explored. Um, so be, before I do that though, I, I think just one thing on the insurance asset management side, and I'm sure almost, you know, everybody listening to this is aware of this is that um, I just wanna pause and highlight the fact that insurance portfolios look very different from um, separate pools or ones that are more driven by pure risk and return because they're the balance sheets of operating companies. Mm -hmm. They're subject to regulations, the business requirements, the accounting impact, jurisdiction, all these kinds of things. And, and these constraints bear on any strategy, asset strategy, including one 
that would be designed specifically in the investment portfolio for inflation. I just you know always feel it's important to provide that context because it really does shape so much of what goes on. So, so if so, if I can um, see if I understand. So, what you mean is that you might have a strategy, but in, in coming up with a strategy to hedge a particular risk, you need to take into account what kind of capital treatment you're going to get, or relief, or whatever the heck you call it. I don't know, and 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 all kinds of other, you know, might you know whether they're eligible securities or admitted so assets, asset yeah. liability management, liquidity stress tests. Everything's got to be kind of run through that process. So while in an academic sense, you may do something different. The simple fact of the matter is, is these are assets of the balance sheet of highly regulated and complex financial intermediaries. So and, and, and does that does that add it adds an extra wrinkle, right? So that if you have a great hedge between your this particular liability and this particular asset, you've dramatically reduced the 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 risk to the institution, but there's a good chance that the regulators won't give you any credit for that because they don't understand how that greatly reduces the risk of the institution. Is that fair? Well, yes. Let me let me give you one one example as a follow on to that exact point. So let's just say that um, some of the inflation benefiting assets that you want are low in the capital structure; they're equity. Right. You're, you're limited because of the uh, reserve and capital charge much more with those kinds of assets than you are with fixed income. Even if it's well matched with what you want to do on the liability side, it's still, it has and an asset charge. In fact, if you were to kind of look at this as a factor management, you're probably writing a lot, you're a lot um, more at risk for inflation in your, in your pricing of your core business, hmm. your financial leverage than you could readily accommodate on the asset side with those kinds of assets because of the capital charge. So, so there are these kind of uh, tensions that come up from competing interests uh, in the um, uh, financial economics of, a, of an insurance company. And, and that's, that's exactly the point that, that I'm making. And we'll talk a little bit, I'll refer to that a little bit more when we get into these lab examples, because I do think there are some ways to mitigate the, the, those scaling differences. Now, so, do we need to put on a hazmat suit before we go into the lab, or is this <laughs> no? How how labby is this? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's it's not going to be. It's not going to be too bad. Okay, sure. um, right, I just wanted to point out that um, the assets are. You know, the allocation can be different for these reasons. Um, so um, the first one is is one that you kind of set the stage for. It's a a, a risk specific hedge, and if we return to this example of a basket of uh, construction materials that are needed for re rebuilding homes following a weather-related event, the, the insurance company could buy um, an at-the-money call option on a construction materials index. So, you know, okay, we've, we've written, you know, um, uh, property cover for both commercial or residential properties in prone areas. We've got a re, we've got reinsurance program, but you know, last time we got squeezed um, on the cost associated with the supply chain issues and the run up in in, in materials. So let's just let's go along the risk and buy a call option 
on uh, an index that gets us closer to that specific pricing risk, that inflation risk. The reason I use the call option is because you get leverage. You know what I mean? You you know, there's more leverage to it than just buying the index outright, and that in some ways uh, connects the dots between this um, particular strategy and the point that we just made on scaling differences. Um, and you're spending some amount of of premium, and and you know, on an option. And whenever I hear the word premium, it makes me think about insurance, and so. Um, I don't know if that uh, if there's a connection there, but but you know, figuring out exactly how much of the, uh, I guess, embedded premium that you've charged for the coverage that you're going to go spend on that hedge. I don't know if those are related concepts or or not. Well, they are, but I think no. <laughs> I, I think that I think I think the reality is is that you, for the reasons I mentioned, uh, capital being the most important, you're never going to cover it all, even if you wanted to completely neutralize it. Right. Which is why the availability of the price escalation being embedded in the insurance reinsurance treaty contract is important. So you, it's like a portfolio of how to manage the risk. There isn't one that's going to cover it exclusively. Um, they And by the way, each one of these six opportunities, I'll call them, they have different costs, they have different uh, depth, they have different uh, accounting and capital trade-offs. But, but I think the answer for a company is looking at them collectively and putting, putting together a portfolio of responses, not just one or the other. So... So the the next so that's four risk there's a that's number four or first in correct the right number four hit. okay <laughs> so right. so the next one um, and, and this sounds this sounds a little bit like a hammer uh, but it's it's been around for a long time is you exclude it you exclude the finite, the the price escalation risk with the coverage so. How would you do that? You could say, well, you could discount the premium that you would have charged for insuring property by the actuarial load for inflation in the materials. You just say, okay, we're going to strip that out from what we would have charged. We give the policyholders a reduced premium because they're not getting covered. They're only going to get paid and we will pay for the losses, but at today's prices. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the price that they actually incur, whether it's higher or lower, will be a risk that they take, not us. And we've credited uh, the, the policy for having reduced that risk-taking budget from the policy. And the, the reason this, it, it sounds draconian, but exclusions in insurance are commonplace. So, sure. so for example, recently, you know, it's come up a lot because of COVID. COVID is a, was, you know, um, pandemics are an excluded cover. Uh, there's been a lot, of, as you might imagine, <laughs> this is what we do, a lot of litigation regarding whether um, COVID uh, preventing use of facilities is the equivalent of property damage and therefore mm. triggers a business interruption coverage 
those are some pretty animated discussions. Better you than but, me. Yeah, yeah, pretty animated discussions. But, but my point is, is that exclusions are a common tool that the insurance industry uses. Um, and there's, there's- I was, I was just gonna say, I, I mean, to me, I mean, I'm a risk guy. So I, you know, to me, all of this is is part of the discussion of which risk am I going to keep? Which risk am I going to, you know, ask the insurance company to, to take on? And there's there's obviously a cost to that. And you can see this with health insurance, right? That that you know, if I want to have a uh, you know a disaster coverage, you know, the cost is very different than if I want to, you know, have a, you know much lower deductibles. It's a question of how much of that risk am I putting off on the, the insurance company. So I don't, you know, that's not, I, you know, I don't have any problem with that conceptually. I I would wonder about how easy it is to communicate that to the you know, to the policyholder. Uh, it's it's never easy, but there are some communications that are easier than others. So let me describe ones that I think are easier than others. So, <laughs> so probably the most difficult is to exclude entirely a, a risk that the client has that you're not going to write. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. that's, you're supposed to be in business to help people smooth out the risks and be the shock absorber. And you're saying, no, we're not going to do that. That's that's never a good conversation. So you're always looking at that as a last resort. You're looking for other ways, insurance link securities, other types of risk transfer that are in the ecosystem because you're client focused. But nevertheless, there are times for a variety of reasons, capacity or not really understanding the risk that you simply can't take it as a um, fiduciary, uh, mm -hmm. you just, just can't take it. The ones that are a little bit easier, Mike, are, and I actually like these, is when you mentioned deductibles and things like that, um, if, the, if there was a way to construct a deductible risk on price escalation, I think that's really appealing when, the, when there's a, a path to reducing that risk that is economic um, and pays for itself. And, it, and the use of a deductible, as opposed to a complete exclusion, a large deductible motivates the client to invest or change their behaviors or how they manage themselves in a way where they're gonna wanna benefit from reducing the risk um, in order to benefit from the cost benefit of doing so. So the, to me, because I'm a victim of my experience, I'll give you a, a more example. tangible example of that. Sprinklers. Sprinklers. So, yeah, this is just like if the cost of risk is associated with protecting a facility from fire. Okay. So you go into a facility and you say, it's look, it's going to you speak to the typical short attention span CFO who doesn't really want to spend that much time on this kind of topic. And you say, look, I'm going to get your attention. If you spend 30,000 in sprinklers, um, what it's going to do is it's going to reduce your property premium by uh, $15,000. Mm -hmm. So you're going to break even in two years. And after that, you coin money. So, so, um, it's better than a complete exclusion of the risk, um, you know, and those are actually the ones that I think are the most productive. If there was a way 
to do this with regards to pricing risk and inflation risk, where the client was in control of that risk and could mitigate it with greater than their cost of doing so benefit to their insurance premiums. That's a win-win for both parties. Yeah, I guess you'd have to have a, you know, a company that that could offer an individual, you know, inflation protection overlay. Correct. Right. But offer it to the individual. Right. Um, and this, I guess we're getting further into the, we're going to come up with a number seven on the lab list here. If we keep, if we keep talking. So maybe, Oh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> oh, no. is that number six? No, 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 it is. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe, maybe we're, you know, skipping this number six, which I don't think we know yet, but, and we were going to add a seven, but you know, the idea being that yeah. you know, insurance company could team up with a, uh, Actually, you and I have talked, you know, in an in inflation reinsurance company. Correct. Where, you know, where a company offers a specific re, you know, inflation hedge to the individual, and then the non-inflationary indemnification. I'm I'm making up words now that I would like yeah. is, is that good? All right. Um, you know, that stays with the with the traditional insurance company, but um Anyway, I don't know. I'm. I'm. Yeah, that's kind of that's that's kind of what we were discussing, like the um, the risk specific hedge. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you strip it out, and client retains it, and you uh, basically ensure indemnification. And I guess there might be, you know, especially getting back to what we were talking about, and how the regulators, you know, may or may not give good treatment to the insurance company for certain of these hedges to the extent that you can take that hedge and give it to an individual who doesn't have an insurance regulator to mm -hmm. deal with, then, you know, then you've still solved the client problem, but you've moved it into a regulatory sphere or out right. of a regulatory sphere that's painful. Correct. Yeah. I like that. So item number six, item number six <laughs> is kind of like a little variation on the risk specific asset hedge and that's a swap program so you could in this case uh take the the return on a construction index um and then swap it against somebody who might want something um a risk that you know well and you're willing to sell let's say uh, the, the return on um the aggregate you know fixed income aggregate you might take take the return and they may be very willing to give it to you from, let's say, a construction company that is managing price risk on materials all the time. Um, and so they're going to be aggressive. They're going to be happy to trade that risk to you because they know it. And you're going to swap the risk that you know well to them. And um, so you do a swap and you create a, a program of swaps on your specific uh, invest, uh, inflationary risk sources, as we described earlier, from that inventory, and 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 you can do this in a fund, um, and and this this avoids uh, the need of some of the things we've talked about before. Is if you create a specific index, like for medical inflation, mm -hmm. um, you need to create a market. You need you, you need depth on both sides. It, it needs to be tradable. And those are all great long-term answers to inflate, managing inflation risk, the, a series of indices associated with particular types of inflation. 
But in the interim, like a bespoke trade between two parties um, is not not a, a bad interim solution to it. Um, you know, well, that's how the actual that's how the interest rate swap market got started. Right. I mean, it was right. World Bank IBM that had offsetting risks that, you know, just had a, a an agreement between them. So. Right. So that so that could be kind of like the way you start this out. You say, where are our big inflation risks and um, who would who would sell us an index on it? And we'll swap it because that way that's it's it's more of a a net exposure and um, there may be less capital associated with it on a net basis that way, as opposed to just going along the index, kind of mm -hmm. like a hedge fund with, with, um, you know, leverage. So um, that would, that would be item number six. So you have these, you know, these conventional ways of doing it, um, you know, the actuarial load, the um, transfer through reinsurance, uh, just putting in some general inflation hedging assets in the portfolio, and then you can get down to much more specific and idiosyncratic inflation pricing risks through a specific asset hedge, a policy exclusion, or uh, a swap program. So this is kind of like the family is, of ways uh, that this particular uh, risk pricing risk could be uh, addressed. So, so how many insurance companies um, actually think like this or do anything like this? So you know, you've been at some big ones, but I know you also talked to lots of insurance folks. And I, I just, I just wonder, I mean, obviously one, two, and three are pretty, pretty common. Uh, does anyone think about four, five, and six? Oh, I, I think they do. But I, but I think that um, it's, it's gotta be a company that, uh, can see the, uh, a path to doing it through these other constraints. So they may be in a, a jurisdiction. They may not be a, a publicly owned company. They have some latitude as a private company. Um, so I think the ones that um, have uh, put themselves in a position to cons consider this, in some ways, that's the reason they've put themselves into a circumstance where they can consider some non-traditional approaches have, have done that for this very reason. So they are thinking about these kinds of methods and techniques, but those that are much more uh, constrained um, by virtue of how they're set up, who they're owned by, who they're regulated by. Um, and then the other thing I would say, Mike, and um, is that, let's call this for the sake of discussion, one form of customization. And, in, and insurance portfolios are customized for multiple reasons. We, we referred to some of them earlier. And they all compete against one another for where, which, which customization has the greatest benefit, which one is priced for the greatest return. And th this is something that I've spent a lot of time on, um, written about, called active customization. So there are some cases where I think the culture of the company is designed to think about things like an inflation, like these, these other more technical answers than the conventional ones. 
and they do, but they they would come at the expense of other forms of customization that are of paramount importance or have better economics. So they just basically say, well, you know, for the time being, we're, you know, these inflation strategies just don't make it for us because these other forms of portfolio customization have much more importance and better economics. So, so the answer is yes, companies do think about this, um, uh, but not all pursue it for the reasons that I mentioned. And I would think that for the last quarter century, you know, the, the whole question of whether or not there was any demand. I, I've spoken to life companies about, you know, offering an inflation adjusted life insurance and, and um, inflation adjusted annuities. And there are a few that, that occasionally will do it, but they don't do it terribly well. But, but one of the reasons they always give is, well, there's never, you know, no one's ever cared about it. <laughs> they haven't cared about it yeah. for a long time. And I wonder, I suspect that the demand and the interest in these things um, is higher now than there have been in a quarter century, but I. Sure. It's, it's the, um, it, it's the shiny object today. I mean, you know, inflation is. You know, big. <laughs> I, I mean, come on. I mean, I hope it's more than that. <laughs> Only kidding, Mike. I just. My I entire I existence. You just. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I just could resist poking. You a little bit. It's just, that's All right. Anyway. Roll. But I think, <laughs> I think that, that, yeah, it's, it's got, um, and it should have more attention, but here's a, here's a global statement. It's a generalization, which means by definition, it should awesome. be subject. It should be subject to question. Is that? I think the property and casualty industry now is more concerned about the magnitude of risks more than their pricing. Hmm. Let me explain that. So it you know. It's much more important and unfortunate to realize that you have five times the aggregate exposure to let's just say wind-driven storms, than the fact that how you are pricing it is gonna be under, undershot by 5% versus 10%. Right, right. That, I mean, that that's that's important and I'm not dismissing it, but right now, with the emerging risks going on, I think what, what is in the headlights are, do we really have our arms around the magnitude of these units and how big the exposures are more than do we have them precisely priced for inflation or not? You know what? I mean, and this is something that I, you know, I've said for a long time, inflation has long tails. And, and so, you know, it, it's, you know, if you if you look at at you know uh, accounting for that risk in the insurance company via capital, and as opposed to reinsuring or doing something that you're just going to absorb whatever this inflation risk is, um, and, and that's what a lot of insurance companies have done, right? For a lot of their risks, is they just simply say, you know, it's a not a big enough risk if inflation goes from two to three whatever, you know, and we've got some issues, but we have a lot of capital for that kind of thing. And the problem is, to your point, and especially now people are realizing that it doesn't go from two to three, it goes from two to three to five to eight. And, and the burden on our capital 
of moving from five to eight is bigger than it was from two to five. And so right. you get this nonlinear effect. Yeah. Um, and actually, I guess, like you're seeing on banks and fixed income portfolios right now, but it's the nonlinear effects. And I think that's what you're talking about is that it changes the whole scale of the risk. It does. Now on, on, on um, exposures or underwritten lines that where the scale of it is, is, you're more comfortable with it. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like the distribution is pretty tight. You may be wrong a little bit one way or another. Mm -hmm. Then that elevates the importance of, of pricing it. Pricing it, yeah. And, and risk associated. So there could be some long tail lines where the scale of it is, is fairly certain. Um, it's scrubbed down well. It's understood. It's not going to vary that much. And, and that's where like spread businesses, it's, where, where you do want to get the pricing right. So I, I think that there are different circumstances where pricing is much more important uh, than others. And that would be one of them. So I don't want to kind of com completely dismiss it for them. Sure. Well, look, I mean, there's only so much we can cover in a, you know, 40, 50, one hour, you know, long program, uh, you know, but, uh, but I think we've done, I think we've covered a fair amount of ground. Um, is there anything else you you feel like we 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 ought to add? I mean, I don't want to make this a three-hour you know uh, podcast. We can always you know come back and do a second episode. But is there anything else you want to add, or or um, you know, is there any you want to talk about what you're working on, or or anything like that? Well, well, um, I I think the only thing I'd add is what I've said. I think that I think this is an important topic, and. Um, I, I'm glad that you raised uh, raised it in the you know in the context of the insurance industry, Mike. So, um, to the extent you can come up with these other kind of practitioners in this series of, you know how how it could actually implement it, I think it's a great idea and uh, applaud your efforts in that regard. Is with regards to what I'm working on, um, you know, I'm still um, you know I'm, I'm doing board work and consulting work and. Um, I think that the I'm still fascinated by this business, and um, in particular, uh, the puzzles that uh, confront us. And mm -hmm. we know that they're there because we keep repeating the problem. And um, <laughs> you know, those are the ones that draw me. Um, and so I I like to work on those. Um, also, uh, the trends that I don't think have been uh, the full implications of industry trends are have been scrutinized and evaluated. So I, I like that kind of, wait a minute, let's make sure that we've got this right. I like to, to do those kinds of things. Um, and in, in that regard, the, the next two steps, once I've got some of those kinds of interesting projects in front of me is step number two is figuring out the right question. Um, I spend a lot of time kind of thinking about, well, okay, this isn't, a challenge, this is a problem. What is the right question? Because I believe that when you get the question right, you know, you're going to get the answer pretty quickly. And then um, the last step is I then have this network of people that like you, where I call up and say, hey, I have this question. Will you help me answer it? And, and fortunately enough, they often say yes. So it's, <laughs> it's really a, a fascinating kind of um kind of process for me. And um, th those are the kind of things that I'm, I'm, I'm still working on. Well, we're all caught in your web. 
<laughs> We're all caught in your web just to bring it full circle here. Look, you know, one of the things I, I've always loved about you is your, you know, you've got this great intellectual curiosity of things that are, you know, outside of, of, of just, you know, right in front of you. And, and that, and that's terrific, but also you have this tremendous capacity to get really, really deep. And, and you know, I guess the chess analogy, you know, you, you, you seem to be able to think five moves ahead Um uh, you know, not necessarily with a, with respect to a process playing out, but you think about layers, layers deeper uh, about things than 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 I ever do. And so um, it's it's nice to be able to to uh, to be involved in some of those early layers. Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciate Thanks, it, Mike. I've I've in all honesty, I've I've learned that 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 kind of approach from those around me, and um, so it's 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 been a a real learning curve for me, and that's where it comes from. Well, listen, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be on the, the podcast today. Um, you know, you're really going to love the way, the creative way I edit this and put it together in ways that you have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It probably is not going to be very little editing, I suspect, because I'm not a very good editor. But uh, but anyway, thanks very much for, for, for coming on today. Okay, my pleasure, Mike. Well, that's all for today's podcast. Uh, please like, subscribe, refer others, and all those other things. Uh, you can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. Subscribe to the blog at inflationguy.blog. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy and visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. But most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.